Great to see all of you. Last Sunday in July, praise God. Next month is August and then September. For all of us old timers, you get your first cool front in September. Yes, come on down. It's a thrill to be back with you. My name is Kenny. I had the joy, the unearned privilege, undeserved honor of starting BCF Church in 1997, way back there. And in December of this year, I uh, retired and handed it over to younger, stronger, more capable hands. But it's a thrill to be with you. For those of you who are online, uh, thank you for inviting us into your home today. We're in this series called Spiraling Downward. And I, I want to give, give hope. I want to give encouragement and strength to those of you who feel like I have failed. Maybe that's where you are. You just feel as though I have failed. I, I have failed the Lord. I've failed my family. Maybe you feel like there is no hope. That is not true. God brought you here today. God brought you online today to hear this very message. There is hope. Many years ago, I had a young man come to me who had been involved in the cartel at international levels and he knew he was about to lose his family. Matter of fact, his wife said, I'm done. I'm totally done with this. Uh, he said, I, I need to change. I said, okay, if you want to change, I'll, I'll help you change. And, and we began meeting together. And then uh, one day he didn't show up. I heard from his wife. He, I don't know where he is. I think he's relapsed. And as time went by, we realized he had relapsed. He's back into cocaine again. And and so I, we, we found him. We had to go look for him, but found him. And I remember talking to him. I said, look, you can start over. And he said, no, I, oh, man, I've just failed so badly. I said, yes, you can. You can start over. And I pleaded with him. And he accepted the, the hope that I can start over. And he got up and began to rebuild his life and rebuild his family. And he became a, a leader in his home, a leader in his church and became a strong man. I want you to hear what the Bible says. A good man falls seven times and gets up. You may be feeling like I have just failed too badly. That is not true. We're looking at the life of Saul in a series called Spiraling, Spiraling Downward. And I want you to listen, please, to what the Bible says. The, the scripture says this. Everything written in the scriptures, everything written in the Bible was written to teach us how to live better lives. We want to look at the life of Saul and discover what not to do. And I'm going to ask you to follow along carefully. I, I've gone to great trouble to give you the scripture. It's inside your, your program so you can follow along. You can see exactly what I'm looking at. And I want you to look and see what is God really saying about when we fail and how can we get up. Here's the background. Pastor Bo did a marvelous job last week at describing what happened when God said to King Saul, who physically was imposing, he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the entire nation. He was a physical specimen. He, his family was wealthy. He was well-educated, socially well-connected. And God himself has made Saul the king. And then God said to Saul through the prophet Samuel, I want, you to, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were so wicked. They were murderous. 
The Amalekites would even murder their own children as sacrifices to idols, to false gods. They were involved in terribly wicked sexual immorality. And their, their, their evil was more contagious than COVID. And so God said to them, uh, destroy them all, all of them. Kill every single one of them. Don't only kill them, I want you to kill the cattle, the sheep, the lambs. I want you to wipe them out because of their wickedness. And King Saul said, okay. So he went in to destroy them, but he did not destroy the king, who was actually the worst of the group. He kept him, sort of a trophy. And he did not kill all the cattle, the sheep, the lambs. He only killed those that were worthless. The good ones that they kept for themselves. And so when Samuel goes to approach King Saul, he says, I have obeyed the Lord. And Samuel says, oh yeah? What's this? I hear. I hear the cattle. I hear the sheep. I hear the lambs. What's this? Oh, the people. The people, they, they kept them to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And Samuel said, stop. Stop with that. To obey is better than sacrifice. To rebel is as bad as the sin of witchcraft. It exposes you to satanic control. What have you done? He said, well, you know, really, I just kept them to sacrifice. And, you know, it really wasn't all that bad. I want you to listen, please. This is what God says now to King Saul through the prophet Samuel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and he has given it to someone else who is better than you. At that point, King Saul knows he's been fired. God himself has fired him. God placed him in that position, and God is taking him out of that position. And something else happened. The blessing of God left his life. Men and women, listen to me. Nothing is quite as lonely as knowing the blessing of God has left your life. For things that formerly did not happen to you, bad things are now happening. And those good things that used to always happen have suddenly stopped. What's happened? The blessing of God has been lifted. Now Saul, he could have admitted he was wrong. He could have owned it. He could have said, I, I have sinned. I have failed terribly. He could have actually been a help to young David, but yet he is not. He stubbornly refused to admit that he was wrong. This is the track of his life. This is why he's spiraling downward. He's stubborn. And what happens when you refuse to do what God is telling you to do? I want you to get your notes and write this down. What happens? Should you be here today and say, yeah, yeah, I know all that, but I'm, no, no, I'm not going to turn. That is a tragic mistake. Point number one I want you to see in Saul's life is that he began to be tormented by an evil spirit. This is what the Bible says. The Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled Saul with depression and fear. Let's just pause for a moment. I say, what, what is that? The Lord sent this evil spirit. You see, all that has to happen for Satan to attack you and your family is for God to remove his protecting hand. When he pulls back his hands, Satan will attack you. Satan will invade your life and your family. So some of Saul's servants said to him, 
A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a, a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, it's all said. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, well, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem, he's a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and he has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Bible scholars believe that David at this time is somewhere around 13 years old. You say, why? Well, he's just a boy, not in their culture. In their culture, when a young boy was 18, he was a man, and he was expected to behave like a man. Well, King David assumed this role very well. He has trained himself to, to protect himself from lions and bears as he's watching the, the sheep out in the pasture. He is a talented, talented harp player. He is self-disciplined. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse. Send me your son, David, the shepherd. I want you to read very carefully, very carefully. So Saul, so David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much. You need to put that into your mind. Get this perspective. David is not a threat to him. David is a help to him. So he made David his armor bearer, which is like his bodyguard. He is very, very skilled in handling his own self and handling those who are around you. And so as, as David travels back and forth over the course of about the next five years from his home in Bethlehem to be with Saul as needed whenever Saul is troubled out of his mind by this wicked spirit, as he's now 18, 19 years old, he comes, he's sent by his father to the camp. This is where David kills Goliath. You, you recall, Goliath is uh, between 9 feet 6 inches and 9 feet 9 inches tall. Can you imagine that? He's so tall that the top of his head would almost hit the rim of a basketball goal. This guy is huge. He has intimidated everybody, including King Saul. But David says, who is this? Who's this giant who's defying the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? And he hears, well, the king has offered this tremendous reward for anybody that kills him. Oh, what's the reward? Well, you get to marry the king's oldest daughter, and your family is exempt from taxes for life. Nice, right? And so David says, uh, I'm in, I'm in. And he goes to Saul and says, I'll take care of this guy. He says, oh, no, you can't, you can't. This guy's a warrior from his youth. He's trained in all the skills of war. And, and why, no, you're still a boy. And he said, Absolutely not. I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. Uh, I'll, I'll go. So you already know the story. Uh, king David goes after David, rather, goes after him, throws his sling, hits king, uh, hits Goliath right in the forehead, and Goliath falls down. He's not dead. He's unconscious. And David goes over and takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. Now the Philistines all realize their champion is dead, and they're running. This begins a military campaign led by David, who eventually will become the commander of the entire Israeli army. This is a military mop-up operation. You've got to keep that in mind. David has just been blessed by God, supernaturally successful, which takes us to point number two in Saul's life. This is his breaking point. Saul's breaking point came when David was praised more than he was praised. 
This is how the Bible records it. Now follow along. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, watch, it's underlined. From that time on, Saul kept what kind of eye on David? What kind of eye? A jealous eye. Another translation reads, Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. Now a healthy leader ought to rejoice when someone they've recruited, someone they've trained, does well, but not Saul. He's filled with jealousy. He should have realized, this is what the Bible says, promotion and power come only from God. God promotes one and he deposes another. God was humbling Saul. He's saying, Saul, come on, humble yourself, humble yourself. He should, Saul should have said, I deserve to lose my place of leadership. I did not do what God told me to do. And I, I want to help David become the future king. But he refused. Whenever you lose your place of leadership and influence, are you willing to admit this was my fault. I own it. This is my fault. This is what I've done. Or do you become angry like Saul? He goes even worse. Look at the third stage of Saul's life. He refuses to humble himself and he became violent. Men and women, when you refuse to listen to God, you can become violent like Saul. Notice the Bible records the very next day after Saul has heard the women sing, David has killed his, his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had his spear in his hand. And suddenly he hurled it at David. You can hear it shoom, going through the air. But David is fast as a cat. He moves over trying to pin David to the wall with the spear. Notice the last phrase. David escaped him twice. This didn't happen once. He's trying to kill David twice. He became violent. Saul should have admitted his sin and asked for forgiveness, but he didn't. So the Bible records David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid. You say, does it get any worse? Yes, it gets even worse. Look at stage four of Saul's life. Saul lays two death traps for David. He said, I, I'm going to get David killed. I need this guy out of my life. He is such a pain in the side. How does he do that? With his two daughters. His oldest daughter is named Merab. Remember, he made the promise. Whoever kills Goliath can marry my oldest daughter. He did not keep his promise. So now he says, okay, I know how to get rid of uh, David. He said, David, look, I, I, I really want you to marry my, my daughter. This is a lie. I want you to marry my daughter, Merab. 
and uh, go out and fight the Lord's enemies, the Philistines. And he's thinking to himself, the Philistines will kill this guy for sure. But David is too humble. He's genuinely humble. He said, no, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to be part of the royal family. Uh, no, I, I, I just can't do it. Ah, that trap did not succeed. So Merab is given to another. But King Saul has a second daughter. Her name is Michael. I know Michael in our culture is, is a guy's name, but it, in that culture, it was her name. And Michael loves David. She sees in David, whoa, this guy is amazing. So she wants to marry him. So word gets back to King Saul. Ha 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 ha, death trap number two. He says, okay, uh, you know, I know my daughter wants to marry you. And I tell you what, I, I don't want anything from you except you go kill a hundred Philistines and, and you can become part of the royal family and marry my daughter. Well, David this time says, okay, you got a deal. He goes out and kills 200 Philistines. He comes back and says to King Saul, let's get the wedding going. Yes. And he marries Michael, who apparently is just drop dead gorgeous. So he, Saul springs two death traps. Neither one of them are successful. That's murder attempts three and four. Tries to spear him twice, missed. Tries to get him killed off by marrying one of his daughters. That doesn't work. He's broken his promises. It gets even worse. Stage number five in Saul's life is he's spiraling downward. He now vows not to hurt David. What is a vow? A vow is a sacred promise. It is an oath. Watch what follows. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things. The king must not sin against David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten, Dad, have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant, Goliath, and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for this. So Saul listened to Jonathan, watch, and vowed, look at the words, as surely as the Lord lives. That is a solemn, sacred vow made before God. David will not be killed. Does he keep his word? No. Look at stage six in Saul's spiral. Saul now tries to kill David six more times. If you're counting carefully, you'll find six more times he tries to kill him, such as as follows. One day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled the spear at David, but David dodged out of the way. He fled and escaped into the night. Remember Saul's solemn vow? A sacred promise, he broke it. Friends, look at me. When you are out of control, you will do what you promised you would never do, precisely like Saul. King David ran home, but when he got home, he's talked to his wife, Michael, and she said, uh, honey, you got to get out of here tonight. If you stay here, you'll be dead by tomorrow. So she helps him escape over the city wall 
and he runs away to where Samuel is in a place called Nioth. But Saul isn't done yet. He said, look, I'm going to kill that guy. I'm going to kill him myself. I don't care if he is my son-in-law. So he sends soldiers to surround David's house. And they're there. And the next morning, David doesn't come out because they're ready to kill him. You see these creepy guys standing all around his house. And so word is sent to the Saul. Saul, he's sick. He's sick. That, that's why he can't come out. Michael goes and finds this idol, which is huge. Consider it like a life-size doll. Why she has it isn't very pleasing, but she does. And she puts this idol in the bed, covers the, up with the covers, gets a wig, puts it over him. They say, yes, he, oh, my husband is sick. He's so sick in bed. He can't get out. So Saul said, I don't care if he is sick. Bring him here. Bring that bed into the palace. I'll kill him myself. <laughs> they cart this bed into the palace. Open it up. What? You see, he's been tricked. It's nothing more than a, an idol, like a huge doll. And he says to his daughter, why did you do this? Why did you deceive me? Michael said, oh, he threatened to kill me. He threatened to kill me if I didn't let him go. And he's off. Well, Saul is going to try to kill him yet again. It's not over. When the report reached Saul that David was at, at Nioth, which is, this is the village where Samuel the prophet lives. And many of the other prophets are there in this same little village called Nioth. He sends troops to capture him. I've got to explain what happens in these next three attempts to kill David. We don't understand exactly what happened. And it is odd. I'll admit it's odd. So uh, Saul says, all right, he gets a commander. I want you to take your troops. You go off to Nioth where David is hidden there with Samuel and kill him. Says, yes, sir, you're the boss. So they, they head off to this village. And when they arrive in Nioth, uh, Samuel and the prophet, this is how I picture it. We don't exactly know, but this is how I picture it. They're singing. They're singing praises to God. And these soldiers who have come to murder David are overtaken by the Spirit of God. And they begin to sing. They can't help themselves. They, they become part of the praise band. They start singing. And they're all singing. In fact, they sing all day. And when nighttime comes, they, they go back to the palace. And Saul said, okay, uh, is David dead? He said, no. He said, why not? Well, we don't know exactly what happened, but when we got there, the Spirit of God was so strong, we couldn't help ourselves. We started singing. He said, singing? I didn't send you there to sing. I sent you there to kill him. So I said, all right, come here, you. You go and you take your men, and you go and you make sure this deed is done. Yes, sir, you're the boss. So now the second commander goes, and the exact same thing happens. They all begin uncontrollably singing. They sing all day long to the glory of God. By the way, I just have to pause. You say, did something like this really happen? Yes, it did. You remember when Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, and when he got there, the children are saying, Hosanna, which means praise God, Hosanna to the king. They're singing to Jesus. Well, the religious police said, stop these children. They shouldn't be saying that. You remember what Jesus said? If these children are silent, the rocks will cry out. Something happened to these soldiers, group number two, and they too began to sing the praises of God uncontrollably. They go back empty-handed. Now Saul is so mad. He said, man, when you need a man's job, you got to send a real man. I'm going. I'll take care of David myself. So he heads off to Nioth. 
The exact same thing happens. He hears the praises of God. He's overcome by the Holy Spirit. He begins singing, but that's not all. He takes off his armor and lays it down, and he takes off his royal robe. In late, kind of embarrassing, he lays there in his underwear. What's that all about? God is saying in a visually dramatic way, Saul, you're fired. You can take off your royal robe because you are not fit to be king. Did God spare David's life? Yes. Is it over yet with Saul? Saul, no. Next morning, he got back up, got dressed, went back to the palace. It's not over yet. In fact, it's even sadder. Look at stage number seven as he continues to spiral downward. In a fit of anger, he even tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. Jonathan is now pleading, Dad, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. Why are you trying to kill David? Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan, his own son. You stupid son of a whore. He embarrasses his own wife, his own family. He swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him, that's David, to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. Why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked. What has he done? Notice Saul, in a fit of anger, hurls his spear at his own son, intending to kill him. You and I are either under the control of the Holy Spirit or a very unholy spirit who is murderous and deceitful and vile. But we've got a choice. We've got a choice. You and I can say, all right, Lord, uh, I want to admit where I'm wrong. I want to change. I want to rebuild. Let me give you four lessons that come out of Saul's life. And they apply to me, and they apply to you. These are four life lessons. Lesson number one, you can start over. You can start over now. God brought you here today so you could have a new start. This message is for you. You could start over. You can. BCF is all about a new start and a new beginning. This is what the Bible says. If we judged ourselves, we would not come under God's judgment. What does that look like? That means I need to admit it to myself. This is what I did. It was wrong. I need to not only admit it to myself, I need to admit it to God. God, I admit it. What I said was wrong. God, what I did was wrong. And then I need to also admit it to someone I trust. To develop a, a lifelong rebuilding process, it takes more than one. It takes all of us. You need Christian brothers if you're a guy, Christian sisters if you're a lady who will stand alongside you and help you and encourage you. You can start over. You can start over today. We'll help you. There's a second warning that comes out of the life of Saul, and that is we can all become like Saul, all of us. 
It's very, very tempting when you hear of Saul's life, think, wow, what a colossal loser. I, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, if you read your Bible carefully, you're going to discover that the young man who served Saul so faithfully, so valiantly, valiantly later in life, will do exactly what Saul did when David does become king, in the midpoint in his life, David has his own best friend, Uriah, killed by enemy soldiers so that he could take the man's wife. Where did he learn that? From Saul. Can you and I do the most unimaginable things? Yes. Can we break our solemn promises? Yes. The Bible says, be careful if you're thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. Third life lesson, if you refuse to respond, if you refuse to respond to God's pleading, your life will become increasingly painful. The Bible warns the way of the transgressor is hard. It gets harder and harder, not easier and easier. The Bible warns all of us, if you hear God's voice today, do not be stubborn. If you hear God's voice right now, listen. What happens when you resist God's pleading? You become calloused. You lose the ability to feel to feel God's Spirit pulling on your heart. You lose the ability to hear His voice gently speaking because you have resisted, you have become stubborn. Which takes us to life lesson number four, which is so startling. Life lesson number four is there is a time when God's patience is exhausted and judgment is certain. The Bible warns you and me, if you get stubborn every time you are corrected, one day you will be crushed and never recover. That's God's warning. God is pulling. God is pleading. Come on. God brought you here today to say you can start over. You can start over today, July 31st, to say, okay, God, I admit it. God, I admit it to myself. I admit it to you, and I will admit it to someone I trust. God, forgive me. Come on. But if you refuse, listen to Proverbs chapter 1. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice. You rejected the correction I offered. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. And you may be saying, hey, hey, pastor, how do I know I haven't reached that point already? If you feel, listen carefully, if you feel God's Spirit pulling on your heart, you have not crossed that line. You cross that line when you no longer feel His Spirit pulling, pleading, speaking to your heart. When we first started our church, there was a man who came to know Jesus, became a leader, 
became a small group leader. In our church, small group leaders are lay pastors. They lead their group, they pastor them, they care for them, doing a fantastic job. But then the rumors begin to swirl that uh, this man was seeing another woman, an adulterous affair. When it was undeniably true, I and another good friend went to his house and we pleaded with him. He didn't want to see us, but we insisted. We said, look, don't do this. We know what you're doing. Don't do it. This will not end well. We pleaded. He said, I knew you guys would come. I knew what you'd say. But frankly, I am not interested. I just have to follow my heart. Those are chilling words. Don't listen to your heart. The Bible continually warns us. Do not listen to your heart. Your heart is deceitful. We pleaded with him, don't do this. It's not going to end well. He said, no, I'm not going to. You guys can leave now, please. So we left. He later lost his job. He was making over a quarter of a million dollars. Had one of the highest paying jobs in the city. He lost that. He lost his wife, of course. He lost his kids. Tragedy of tragedies. His son, so bright, so gifted, so spunky, later took his own life. You see, men and women, when we fail to respond to the Spirit of God, we are not the only ones who suffer. Those around us also suffer. That's why God is saying today, if you hear my voice, listen to me, respond to me. I want you to bow your heads for a moment, please. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for a moment? Just a sacred moment, please. If you're here today and you know that God is speaking to you to correct something, and you're willing to say, God, I heard you. I'm not ignoring you. I heard you. Uh, I'll, I'll do what you're telling me to do. Now, you don't need to tell me what it is. I don't need to know. It's between you and God. But I would like to pray for you. I'd like to be your witness that today, today you've heard from God that you can start over. You will do what God is telling you to do. Now, if you're, you're watching online, I'm going to ask you in a moment to do what I'm asking our people here to do. Without looking up and without looking around, if you'd say, Pastor Kenny, God has spoken to me, I'll do whatever God's telling me to do. I want you to raise your hand right now. I want you to hold it up high. Keep it up high for a moment. I want to pray for you. You don't need to look up. You don't need to look around. It's between you and me and God. If you're at home, I want you to raise your hand there. You're raising your hand to God saying, God, I heard you. God, I heard you today. I heard you. Now, Heavenly Father, our hands are raised before you. And we're saying as best we know, we'll do what you're telling us to do. Father, we admit where we've failed. We admit it to you and we'll admit it to someone we trust. We want today, July 31st, to be a day of new beginning. Today to be our best day. I want you to put your hands back down. Heavenly Father, you've heard our prayers. I know that you have changed lives today for the glory of God. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.